You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending, so just be warned. Enter the Dragon, which came out in 1973 and was directed by Robert Klaus. It stars Bruce Lee, John Saxon, Jim Kelly, Keen Shi, Jeffrey Weeks, Anna Capri, Robert Wall, Angela Mao Ying, Betty Chung, and Bolo Young. The genre would be martial arts action. The first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon is Roper. He was in it for the money. U.S. karate champion Jim Kelly as Williams. He was there because he had no choice. Black Belt Hall of Fame undisputed martial arts champion and international film star Bruce Lee. His job was to get them out alive. I'm hoping you'll join us, represent us in the United States. Just when they think they've broken the secret of the island, they find there is no escape from the inscrutable Han. Warner Brothers presents Enter the Dragon, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. The first time I ever watched this entire movie in one sitting, and it's a blast. It's both an excellent showcase for the bottle of action charisma that was Bruce Lee and a sad reminder of the movie star that he could have become. He plays Lee, a Hong Kong Shaolin martial arts master slash secret agent, I think. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Do you understand? Who has been recruited by MI6, I think, to infiltrate a martial arts tournament on a remote island tyrannically run by the evil Han, played by Keen Shi. Of course, the suspicion is that Han has much more nefarious plans in mind, and Lee is not alone on the island as he is partnering, I think, with two American agents slash martial artists, who are also there to take down Han. They would be Roper, played by the late great John Saxon, who knew he actually had a black belt. Ann Williams, who was played by then-newcomer Jim Kelly, also a celebrated martial artist at the time. Jim Kelly would go on to star in several popular martial arts B-movies throughout the 70s, including Black Belt Jones and Three the Hard Way. Beyond that, Saxon's Roper is also an engaging protagonist who can fight, though is also a compulsive gambler. Good work, you made me some bread. Mr. Loper? I'm ready. Okay. I got myself a real pigeon here. Keep the action going for me, will you? What do you think, Roper? Oh, no sweat. Give my friend eight to three all the way. He even seems preoccupied with stirring up action on his own fights. While on the villain side, Han is very much presented as a strings-pulling Bondian villain played with adept scenery chewing by Shi, who even has a secret side to his character, which is not revealed until the climax, which is also right out of a Bond movie. This is my museum. It is difficult to associate these horrors with the proud civilizations that created them. Sparta, Rome, the Knights of Europe, the Samurai. They worship strength because it is strength that makes all other values possible. 
Nothing survives without it. Who knows what delicate wonders have died out of the world for want of the strength to survive. Besides him, we also have two prominent henchmen who leave their physical marks on our protagonists, including O'Hara, played by Robert Wall, resembling a puffed-out Chuck Norris, and Bolo, played by Bolo Young, who actually changed his stage name to Bolo following the success of this movie. And he's also likely the most physically intimidating fighter in the tournament, including Bruce Lee. Bolo would also go on to play a very similar role 15 years later as Chong Lee in Bloodsport against Jean-Claude Van Damme. And yeah, the dude did not age at all between the movies. 15 years, no aging. Everyone on screen clearly knows the movie that they are in, which is a key strength. Gentlemen, let the tournament begin. Even though the vague plot, that's really not a strength. Which is why I keep saying, I think, as while even more dangerous elements are eventually introduced on this island, it's never really made clear exactly what Han's overall plan is. Which is probably just as well. The whole thing is very much set up like a James Bond spy thriller, and eventually morphs into what's in essence a brutal sports drama. After all, it's not the actual plot which is the overall draw here. Nope. Of course, that would be the legendary Bruce Lee, and what would be the first and sadly last, if we're counting completed productions, worldwide production that he would headline. Yes, he starred in a couple of more movies released worldwide after the breakout success of this movie, but in each case, his appearances in those movies would be cobbled together from various remaining footage. Regardless, this is the Bruce Lee show, and he does not disappoint. Lee at the time seemed to move faster than any other human possible, and you can tell by how even slow-mo filming of his actions seem otherworldly. His is a dazzlingly physical performance, backed up with just the right amount of depth, given to his character by the screenplay, co-written by Lee and Michael Allen. The film is competently directed by Robert Klaus, who at least knows how to keep the action and plot flowing while never really getting in the way of his main star, knowing when to just let the titular dragon spread his wings. Bruce is just a force of nature here, dominating the screen throughout, albeit with a solid assist from the sound department led by Ping Wong. Yes, every hit or scream just demands your attention. Bruce Lee just seems to be defying physics at times with just how abruptly he shifts his position between opponents or how literally no physical barrier like a fence or brick wall or an endless array of mirrors can seemingly slow him down for very long. What he's pulling off here is A-list action star stuff. And beyond the sheer physical joy of the action, Lee could also help you feel the pain. One impressive sequence late in the movie has him fighting off several goons, swinging sticks at him underground, until he's finally able to get a hold of one of their nunchucks. And when he starts swinging those nunchucks, standing center frame as his upper body contorts inward, you feel his ferocity and his exhaustion. <laughs> The blood, sweat, and screams pretty much continue into the impressively staged extended climax, which not only features our hero having an increasingly bloody, mostly on Lee's end, boss battle with Han, but also the release of several allied agents, I think, from Han's island prison as they fight against a swarm of bad guys in a big open battle area.
I honestly never got the context of who comprised this sudden small force to battle alongside Lee and Roper, but it's damn well choreographed, apparently even featuring a blink-and-you'll-miss-him appearance from Jackie Chan as one of the bad guys. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The 70s were just a great time for hero themes in movies. You had John Williams' Superman theme, the original Star Wars march also from John Williams, the original Rocky theme from Tom Conti, and of course, Isaac Hayes' legendary theme for the movie Shaft, for the character of John Shaft, of course. Well, consider me a bit embarrassed that I was not previously aware of the kick-ass theme music for Enter the Dragon, and it's from a living legend who's been doing catchy, slightly offbeat theme music for 60 years now. Yes, he's still with us. I'm talking about Buenos Aires' own Lalo Schifrin, because the Argentinian pianist slash composer was also responsible for the creation of one of the more indelible themes of both film and TV over the past several decades. Yes, it was Lalo Schifrin who composed the original Mission Impossible theme. And to refer to him as a living legend, I mean, he's now 91. It's putting it mildly, as Schifrin has been nominated for six Oscars and four Emmys, while also winning five Grammy Awards. Gratefully, he brought his jazz-infused orchestral chops to conduct a score for this movie, which is pretty rousing and fun. The most iconic piece, which became a popular single in its own right at the time, is the main title theme for Enter the Dragon, which we hear over the opening credits, the closing credits, and throughout the movie. Needless to say, this is great hero music, incorporating not only jazz, but also some funk as well. Try getting this out of your head after hearing it for the first time. Which brings me to the next category, Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Next to Bruce Lee, Jim Kelly is likely the most charismatic figure on screen here. And among the four expositional flashbacks in the first half hour of this movie, yeah, that's right, there's four, his is admittedly the most fun, the one for Williams. We see his character just leaving his home to head to the airport for the tournament, when suddenly Williams is accosted by two police officers calling him racial slurs, no less. Yeah. Fortunately, as they're harassing him and trying to detain him even, he gets the drop on them. He knocks each of them out and then drives off to the airport in their squad car. Yeah. Once on the island, Williams has one good fight and a couple of more nice scenes. Mr. Williams. For me? 
You should know. But I'll take you, darling. And you. And you. And you. Please understand, if I missed anyone, it's been a big day. I'm a little tired. Oh, of course, Mr. Williams. You must conserve your strength. Though sadly, his character is brutally dispatched by Han, and we don't see him for the second half of the movie. Just a shame. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, Bruce Lee has got the smile and relaxed assurance to keep it fun, and sometimes even makes it look easy. As during one of my favorite moments, he encounters a snake just outside the villain's lair at one point. Now, we have seen our action heroes dispatch, or at least temporarily evade in the case of Rambo, with snakes before in other movies. But has anyone else before or since been able to restrain said snake, pack it up in his satchel, and then calmly dispense the snake to get two goons out of a control room later on. Pretty impressive. And to top it all off, Lee's annoyed-slash-bemused facial reactions to just having to wait for his new slithering friend to finish its work, it's pretty priceless. And apparently this was all shot with a real snake during filming, who the martial arts star had to handle himself. Or maybe it's legend, but I don't know. I bought it. This brings us to the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Is there even a question here? Just take a wild guess as to who also was the lead fight choreographer, as well as the star and the writer, even apparently directing some of his own fight scenes. Yep, relatively early into his career as a filmmaker, Bruce Lee was adeptly wearing several different hats. And what results is a sometimes clunky, but nevertheless relentlessly entertaining vehicle for someone who could have potentially been one of our most enduring movie stars. Admittedly, just from a pure acting standpoint, Bruce was not given that much to do here besides drive the action and plot forward. But comparing his performance to, say, early Arnold, late 80s Stallone, 70s-slash-80s genre-era Eastwood, modern-day Eco, or even 90s Snipes, Bruce Lee definitely had the chops, pun intended, for much more. For carrying this movie as only he could, Bruce Lee is your MVP. What is the highest technique you hope to achieve? To have no technique. Very good. What are your thoughts when facing an opponent? There is no opponent. And why is that? Because the word I does not exist. So, continue. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Not thinking, yet not dreaming. Ready for whatever may come. When the opponent expands, I contract. And when he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. My rating for Enter the Dragon is four stars out of five. Watching this entire movie for the first time, it became increasingly obvious just how influential this movie was, as you could spot several key elements which would be repeated or, quote, homaged for decades to come in various media, including pretty much the entire martial arts film genre, including most of Jean-Claude Van Damme's oeuvre, along with Jet Li, Donnie Yen, and even more recently, the amazing skills of Iko Awai in the Raid movies, along with several others. And beyond that, you have generations of video games, which have lifted characters and or settings from this movie, including Mortal Kombat, Double Dragon, and Street Fighter. 
When this film came out, it took the world by storm, making around $400 million worldwide unadjusted for inflation. Yeah, that's a lot of money for 1973, or any year, actually. It's just a true shame that its very star never actually lived to witness nor enjoy that success. Regardless, decades later, Bruce Lee remains an icon on the level of a James Dean or Elvis Presley, whose very image has now adorned the walls of two generations of young men and women eager to learn or demonstrate their martial arts skills. Happy 50th anniversary to a true genre-defining classic. And if you're looking to watch Enter the Dragon, it is currently streaming on Max and Sling. And that ends another Agile Review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. 